Welcome back to Brazil Crypto Report. Today, I'm joined by Seamus Roca, who's CEO of Zappo Bank. We talk about the critical role that Zappo and its founder, Wences Cazares, played in bringing Bitcoin to the mainstream and how Zappo has transformed itself from a custody play into a global Bitcoin bank. And we touch on Bitcoin adoption in Latin America. Great. We're here today with Seamus Rocca, who is the CEO of Zappo Bank. Seamus, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Amazing. So today we're going to be diving into one of really one of like the Bitcoin OG companies, like the really exciting companies that's just been in the space since the very beginning, which is Zappo. And uh, it's it's been around for about 10, 11 years now. Uh, and it's really been one of like kind of the it was one of the first, if not the first, real like Bitcoin, institutional Bitcoin custody company from back in the day. So we're going to be diving into that with Seamus. And then we're going to be talking a bit more about uh, the product suite that they have today, as well as Zappos uh, strategy for Latin America and Brazil. So uh, Seamus, why don't we get started with a bit of an introduction to yourself and Zappo Bank. And then uh, after that, I'd like to dive a bit more deeply into the Zappo story. Yeah, sure. So Seamus Rocco, like you said, um, I'm originally from Gibraltar, which is where I am today. Um, joined Zappo six years ago as CFO, uh, when Wences Casares, our founder, was CEO. Uh, and three years ago, I became the CEO and Wences became the chairman. Uh, my background is predominantly banking, uh, but I've been in crypto now for six years. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've helped Zappo um, sort of evolve from a Bitcoin custodian, which is what you were explaining before, and we can go into more detail about that in a minute, into now being a custodian that also happens to have a bank that sits next to it that allows you to sort of, allows Bitcoin to interact with the traditional financial world. And that's essentially what we do. We, we're a bridge between uh, Bitcoin and, and traditional finance in a way that, uh, allows you to not only keep your Bitcoin secure, but is going to, we think, is going to help Bitcoin scale by uh, allowing it to become mainstream. Um, you know, not everybody wants their Bitcoin sitting in an exchange, and not everybody has the technical know-how to keep their Bitcoin secure sitting on Ledger uh, if they need to transact with it. So we, we feel that we solve both of those problems by having gone through a very long journey of becoming regulated, both as a custodian, as a bank, uh, Visa, MasterCard members, uh, and therefore really offering uh, a traditional bank account service in dollars that just also happens to fit Bitcoin uh, alongside it. That's super cool. And I love Zappo's story because it's it's so central to kind of uh, maybe for lack of a better word, like Bitcoin folklore in a sense. I mean, even going back to like Wences Cazares, who is the, the founder of, of, of Zappo, uh, he was I mean, his story is super interesting. And folks who aren't familiar should actually go and read this because it's I mean, he grew up in Argentina, like he went through all the currency crises and everything. So he instantly understood kind of the value proposition of Bitcoin, like, hey, this is something that has like a real application uh, in, in, in Argentina and in places with unstable monetary environments, et cetera. And uh, Zappo was also one of the first companies to really uh, kind of win the hearts and minds of the Silicon Valley elites, right? Like the Mark Andreessen's and kind of your benchmarks and, 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 and you know, some of these other kind of big wig Silicon Valley folks who up until that point were kind of like, what is this stuff? We're not really sure what this is. 
And I think I just remember reading back, reading the, the Nathaniel Popper book from, from yeah. like 2013 or 14, where he details a lot of these, you know, dinners that Wences was having with these Silicon Valley elites yeah. and like trying to really win the hearts and minds of these guys. And, and, um, anyway, I would just love for you to maybe give a bit more color on just like the Zappo story and, uh, you know, kind of how it started and how it, and, and the role that it's played in the, the Bitcoin ecosystem since then. Yeah. Well, I think, look, you know, the, the, the introduction you've given is, is really important because I think, you know, it, it really very much akin to Wences' story. Um, so Wences, not only being Argentinian, you know, helped him see the value of Bitcoin, but Wences was already a, a very successful entrepreneur when he discovered Bitcoin, discovered in inverted commas, in, in 2012. Um, and, and he spent probably like a year researching it, you know, trying to understand that what is this thing, you know, how, um, how could this change the world. And he always has to say that, that you know, he, he said to me when I first started, which is he felt that Bitcoin was going to do for money uh, what the internet did for information. You know, it was, it was going to be complete transformative. So he's pretty much dedicated his life to, to Bitcoin, to helping Bitcoin become uh, popular, scale, genuine use cases. Uh, because again, going back to that story of being Argentinian and, and suffering through financial crises, uh, he believes it in his bones that this is something that has a genuine use case for people. Whereas if you think about it, you know, the US and Europe uh, in more sort of established economies, people look at crypto as a way of trading and making money. In, in more emerging markets, it genuinely has a use case and a store of value. And he saw that very early on. And I think he almost like single-handedly convinced, convinced everybody in, in Silicon Valley that, you know, Bitcoin was a good thing. Um, and he did such a good job of it that, you know, he, he managed to do two things that are, that are key to the Zappos story. One was uh, he managed to uh, raise $40 million of funding for Zappos with, you know, Revit, Benchmark and, and uh, Emergence and a lot of the sort of top Silicon Valley VCs. Uh, it really was a who's who of, uh, of companies. Um, and the other thing that, that he managed to do was, well, they all bought their own Bitcoin. And then, you know, like Grayscale and Benchmark, all these guys, a lot of people bought Bitcoin and went, like, when says, what do we do with these Bitcoin? Where do we keep them? There's a lot of Bitcoin. How do we keep them safe, right? And that's how the sort of, you know, the institutional custody business was born. That was a sort of one of the first major Zappo products. You know, we had we had the Bitcoin wallet. And uh, and it was funny because I was in the Bitcoin and a lot of people would come up to me and say, oh, I remember Zappo was my first Bitcoin wallet. You know, because it started in 2013, 2014, and there really were many other alternatives. So we started the Bitcoin wallet, but then this demand from, from some of the investors to, to store their own Bitcoin kind of really gave Wences the idea of saying, well, let's, let's do cold storage, vaults in Switzerland, you know, all of that thing that we're known for uh, and keeping those Bitcoin safe. And, uh, and it was very successful. At our peak, we had close to 900,000 Bitcoin. Uh, in our vaults, so that was a that was a, a strong business, um, and uh, and it went really well. But on top of that, I think probably the best decision that Wentz has ever made at that point was out of the forty million dollars, the company spent about half of that building the infrastructure, building the vault, building the wallet, building our product. But because we had so many Bitcoin in the vault, we we needed to make sure that our capital was in Bitcoin. Right? Because if you keep your know, capital in dollars, well, what if you suffer or incur any losses and all you lose in Bitcoin? You know, we've got to make sure we've, 
we've got some capital in Bitcoin because there was already an expectation back then from Wences that the price would appreciate. That's why people would invest in Bitcoin, right? So, so we bought $20 million worth of Bitcoin at 2014 prices. Um, so we still have a, a large chunk of those Bitcoins on our balance sheet. So that allows Zappo to have a, a fortress balance sheet, um, which is, you know, for an industry that still hasn't evolved in terms of things like insurance, regulation and what have you, um, we always went through that way of doing things properly, you know, coming capital, we actively sought regulation. And that's, again, what Wences did, you know, um, to, to grow the, the retail side of the business. You know, the, the institutional business was almost like an accident, right? It came out of that interest from VCs. But Wences' passion wasn't to do a business for institutions. It was to change people's lives, you know, to give them an alternative product where they could have a store of value and keep their money uh, and not have to stash dollars under a mattress. So, um, so the passion was always growing the, 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 the sort of the retail business, and and he actively sought regulation all over the world. You know, but this is back in 2014-15. So Hong Kong, Singapore, um, even here in Europe, Switzerland, Gibraltar, which is where we're based today. Um, and, you know, it's funny that now in 2023, nearly 2024, a lot of these countries are starting to evolve their uh, crypto and Bitcoin regulation. But in 2014, 2015, they just weren't interested. Uh, but we've persevered. We've persevered on that journey because, again, you know, the vision was always if this is going to go mainstream, it has to be regulated because essentially it's people's money. Right. So if you've got people's money, they're going to trust you. Eventually, you're going to have institutions that people can trust. And yes, you've got the option of decentralized protocols or whatever. But, you know, my mom doesn't know how to use MetaMask. Right. I barely know how to use MetaMask. And if, even if you do know how to use it, well, you, there's a high risk that you can lose your Bitcoin when you try to transact. And same with Ledger. So it's never going to scale or go mainstream if it's not regulated and there aren't institutions like Zappo. At least that's the bet that we're making. Um, so we went through the whole journey of getting regulated, and it's been a, a painful one, right? Because it's, it goes against the grain. Uh, you go, oh, well, you, you, you're you a Bitcoin company, and you want to become a bank? Um, you know, and, and people look, think you're insane, but we, we, we've gone through that painful journey because we want Bitcoin to be taken seriously. Uh, we think people deserve to have a Zappo, as in a company that is looking out for their Bitcoin, keeping it safe so they don't have to, making the experience of transacting with Bitcoin safe and simple. So essentially the product that we now have is, you know, we just we made that decision to sell the institutional business because you know we we kept all the infrastructure and the security, but in terms of that institutional business, there were people out there that, that were focusing on that and could do a better job than us. So we sold it to Coinbase. And we just focused on the retail business, expanded the bank, expanded the product um, to what it is today. And, and, and almost like the best way I can describe Zappo in a nutshell is, you know, it's, it's a place where you can send your Bitcoin. And not only is it super secure, that's our USP. That's almost like a given that it's the safest place to keep your Bitcoin. And our track record is proof of that, right? Protection from a capital perspective, the fact that it's you know in a regulated jurisdiction, the fact that we've got the experience and know-how, the security protocols, and all of that. But on top of that, it's like we give your Bitcoin superpowers. Why? Because you know you can earn interest if you want to with your Bitcoin. You can turn it into dollars. You can spend them with your car. 
you can turn them into investments and buy US stocks or what have you and, and build a, a sort of a wealth portfolio. Um, and, and you can do all that from anywhere in the world and just you know, onboard to Zappo and become a customer. So it's almost like, it's almost like the Swiss bank of the future built on Bitcoin. <laughs> I like that. I like, so you've gone from being the Fort Knox of Bitcoin to being the Swiss bank of the future. Exactly right. You know, because I think if you think about it, you know, 20 years ago, um, if you wanted an offshore account, you'd probably quite rich, you need to jump on a private plane, fly to Switzerland, you need $10 million and off you go. Or in the UK, you go to Coots Bank and you need a minimum of $4 million. So it's only, that's something that only rich people can afford. Um, with Bitcoin, you think about it, it's like digital gold. So now all of a sudden with one click, you can send Bitcoin and you've got it in that same sort of, you know, offshore bank regulated it's in a safe jurisdiction as english law You're, you you can keep it in bitcoin or dollars so you can diversify into other products and you do whatever you want with it um and but you don't have to jump on a plane anymore to do it you can do it from your mobile phone and you don't need to have 10 million dollars to do it we don't have a minimum balance at, at zapper we just you know we, we're a subscription service we offer you an account manager, a, a metal card, you know, interest on your bank deposits. So there's loads of benefits to the account. So we charge honest fees for honest services. We charge 150 bucks. You know, for the security value of Zappo alone, if you have Bitcoin, it's worth you $150, let alone all the other add-on benefits that, that, that we give you. Um, but, you know, from that perspective, we want customers to see that value. So we go, well, look, if you're going to put $200 into a Zappo account, you're not going to generate enough uh, income to, to, to cover that, that cost. You're better off with a local wallet, right? But if you put five, six, ten, even $10,000 at Zappo, um, the interest earning, we're paying 4.1% at the moment. We're about to increase it soon. Um, so we just pay, you know, whatever we earn, we get all of our customers' deposits, and we put it into U.S. Treasuries and money markets. But we don't lend, right? We don't lend mortgages or whatever. We were built for for Bitcoiners. We didn't build this bank to do local mortgages or anything like that. So we do we don't do fractional reserve banking. So we get all of your money and invest it safely and securely, earn yield, keep a little bit of it. And give the rest of it back to the customer. So we make honest fees all along the way. We don't have hidden fees anywhere. Um, and then from that perspective, you know, as a customer, you go, well, hey, I can see that with ten thousand dollars, that interest that I'm earning, either on my dollars or my Bitcoin or on some of my investments, it more than covers my 150 bucks. So that's why you know I'd say that this is not just for rich people like Switzerland was. This is for anybody who values security. And when they need to, when they want to, can transact with those Bitcoin. Look, I, you know, I've got Bitcoin, I'm sure you've got Bitcoin too, uh, and I'm a hodler. So I've had them for five years and I don't intend to, to touch them. But life gets in the way. You know, I've got to put my kids through school and I've got to pay for fees. I might need a new car. So if I need to you know, spend my Bitcoin, I've got Zappa. Or if I want to generate yield or do more with it than just hodl, so that's super helpful overview and, and very thorough. And I've got uh, a number of follow-up questions here in, in kind of different, you know, sort of going down different various rabbit holes. So we'll start with the first sure. rabbit hole first here. Uh, but I, I'd be curious as to like why you guys have main, have, have, have maintained uh, the posture of being like very just 
Bitcoin only. I know you're offering some Ethereum services as well. That's yeah. really recent. But historically, you guys have been, you know, a Bitcoin only. And I even remember, you know, listening to interviews with like Wences in 2017, yeah. 18, and people were asking him like, why don't you like, you know, or why aren't you involved in doing ICOs and whatever? And he's like, no, yeah. we're only focused on Bitcoin. So yeah. like, why, why, why the focus on like Bitcoin only? <clears throat> and, um, and, and, and why the, you know, the conservative focus on like, we're only going to invest in us treasuries and like money market funds. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of your, you know, unnamed competitors or, or former competitors, uh, you know, kind of had similar products, but they were engaging in much, much riskier yield yeah. generating strategies. And it obviously kind of blew up in their faces. And, um, I guess, you know, how tempting was it to maybe join that particular uh, to, to, to follow along in their footsteps, I guess, during the bull market when it looked like it was just yeah. free money for everybody. You know, how did you guys kind of maintain your focus on like, hey, we're going to be we're focusing on Bitcoin and we're going to we're gonna just going to focus on being solid and conservative and and just being smart. Yeah, absolutely. But look, I think I'd love to be able to take credit for that. But it's Wences that has to take credit <laughs> for that. And I think I guess that's one of the benefits of starting a business when it's your life mission as opposed to because you need the money. <laughs> so when this was a successful entrepreneur when he started this business, right? So he wasn't you know, doing to generate copious amounts of cash. If he wanted to do that, probably Zappa would have been an exchange on day one. Um, the, 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 the sort of the vision and mission was that Bitcoin was going to do uh, for money what the internet did for information, right? So it's really always been all about Bitcoin. And, and it's not to do just with sort of like stubbornness. It's much more to do with almost like um, the the intellectual uh, sort of um, certainty of what Bitcoin is versus other things that are out there. So if you think about Bitcoin, you know it's sovereign; no government can change it, or nobody can decide to issue more of it, um, and it's secure. Uh, and that was maybe a question five, six, ten years ago. It's not really a question anymore. Uh, and and obviously it's finite. We know that it's only 21 minutes and never going to be fully minted. And there's just nothing else out there that meets those criteria, at least not the scale which Bitcoin has got to now, which is why, you know, back then we felt that Bitcoin uh, stood out from everything else. I think there was a period where maybe that was in question. I don't think that's even a question now, right? If you think about institutional interests, if you think about, um, you know, where the world has got to on Bitcoin, it's, it's become a serious asset class. And, and, and we've had conviction about that all along. Um, having said that, though, you know, we did recently add Ethereum and a couple of other coins, but we've added it to our wealth product. So we've added it why? Because some of our customers come along and knock on the door and say, hey, why don't you add Ethereum? And like, you know, who am I to then preach and say, no, 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 let me tell you why that's a bad idea and you should only do Bitcoin. You know, what, we, what we're never going to do is we're not an exchange, right? We're not going to offer 200 pairs. But what we've done is we've almost like curated uh, the, the best of the best out there in crypto in terms of demand, longevity, the quality of the product. And we've added it to wealth and say, look, if people want to diversify their portfolio, they want a bit of a dollar savings account, they want to buy some stocks, and they want to buy an ETF on the S&P 500, and they want to have a bit of Ethereum, they can do it. They can add that to their portfolio. But we haven't added it to the wallet and we haven't sort of all of a sudden abandoned Bitcoin and become a bit of everything. No, it's just, you know, it's, it's very sort of much another asset class that you can add to your portfolio. That's how, that's how we've done it. So that our, our core tenets of Bitcoin haven't changed. 
Got it. Got it. Um, and then on the quick question about the, the institutional custody sale to Coinbase. Uh, I, I remember this vividly because I was at CoinDesk at that time. And right. I was actually, uh, I was actually, I, so I worked on, on consensus, the big conference we would do in New York every year. And I was, I was, you know, programming the stage for it. And we were actually in negotiations with Coinbase to like announce that deal on stage at consensus. Wow. And it was like this, like three months sort of like tortured, process of trying to like uh, well, you know, negotiate that. most people completely misread it because most people thought that the whole zapper had been sold to coinbase and it was only the institutional business. yeah and that's and that's actually what i thought it was like that's what i thought it was as well um and then the, the deal ended up actually following through so or, or it didn't get it didn't get announced until like like i think like three months later so it, like it was that, sort yeah. of you know it, it ended up but i think one of our competitors like got the scoop on it and it was like kind of this <laughs> Sort of kind of kind of an embarrassing affair to be perfectly we sort of like you know drop the ball on that one I guess but um, but I guess just in practice I I, I would I'd just like to kind of better understand what did that you know I, I think like your comments earlier about like really focusing wanting to focus more on retail that was the original vision of the yeah. company uh, make a bit more sense but just kind of in practice like what does it mean that now that the institutional side has been sold off and you guys are really more focused on just kind of like the, the the retail individual customer side of things. Sure. So, you know, back then we didn't have uh, a banking license like we do now. We had a new money license, and and you know we 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 brought out the first Bitcoin card back in 2017. I don't know if you remember that. It was with Wavecrest, and then Wavecrest was shut down, and then we had to you know stop the card and what have you. Um, so we were in that sort of early evolution of the product that we have today and, and we just felt that we need to focus you know it's like well the institutional business is just a different beast right the the number of coins are much larger um so you've got to have a lot more security protocols around the controls you put around the ability for those companies to have access to the coins when they need them and make payments um and the management of your liquidity pool versus what's only called storage um, and also how you manage spreads, and they want different types of products, you know, now it's ETFs or derivatives or what have you. So you need more of a trading desk capability. Um, and if you think about the retail space, it's completely different. It's much more about, you know, regulation, uh, infrastructure that can scale, KYC, AML of transactions, and, and having a, a proper product with a use case that your customers around the world can, can value. Um, so we said, well, we've got to pick one or the other. Um, and the institutional business is, you know, if you think about for Wences and his personal story, it wasn't the reason why he created Zapper. So for him, it was a bit of a no-brainer. And for me, you know, I, I'd left the big uh, international banks to join a fintech to do something interesting and exciting. So the idea of sort of going back to doing institutional type stuff, frankly, wasn't something that excited me that much either. And, and we both felt that there would be people out there that could do it and could do it better. Um, and that as a result, it just almost felt a little bit like doing a Series B. You know, we had all these Bitcoin on our balance sheet that we'd, that we'd done when we did our, our first round. And this is the only funding round we've ever done back in you know, 2014 or whatever. And then, um, you know, when we, when we sold the institutional business to, to Coinbase, we just gave them our customers, you know, they had their own infrastructure that they built, but we, you know, we have to transfer over all of our customers. And, and, and to some degree that almost became like a series B, 
you know, we got mm. some cash for it and some shares and subsequently the IPO and it'll be very successful. So, so that's allowed Zappo and our business to continue building the product that we're building and, and, and have enough capital to be able to do it. Great. Great. No, that's super helpful. That's super helpful. And, and it, and I think it is, it, it does make sense that, you know, this is really like Wences's core vision was it was never to really, you know, recreate sort of institutional financial products. It was more of just, we want to get this in the hands of as many people as possible, uh, irrespective of how wealthy they may or may or not be. Uh, so maybe on that, on that I theme, another small point relevant to that as well is, yeah, sure. If you think about it, look, we were a custodian, a Bitcoin custodian, um, and on top of that, to make it more institutional, you could probably add other sort of liquidity or derivative type products, right? If you think about the people, you know, back then. Um, it would have been inconceivable for the likes of Fidelity or BlackRock to be looking at this industry, but they're looking at it now, and and we kind of almost knew that that was always that would always be the case. You know, if we had conviction as to what Bitcoin would become. Eventually, people wouldn't be able to ignore it as an asset class. And it was like, well, once the big boys come in, Zappo couldn't compete with a Fidelity. You know, they've got a, you know, trillions and trillions of dollar balance sheet. So where, where are you going to keep the Bitcoin? You're going to keep it at Zappo? You're going to keep it at Fidelity? Well. Even if we've got the best security, you've got a much bigger balance sheet, so you probably get much more comfort from them, right? So, so eventually, I see a world where, you know, the institutional custody business becomes a race to the bottom on price. Why? Because if you look at the custody business today for traditional financial assets, bonds, equities, or whatever, it, that's exactly what it is. You know, it's like the, mm. once you get scale. Uh, I do believe that Citibank is probably the largest custodian in the world of traditional financial assets. At least it was when I was in banking. I'm not sure who it is today. You know, it, it, it's at that at that scale. If they just compete at one basis point here or there, um, and and again, that was a bit like, well, you know, that doesn't that didn't feel like the business that we wanted to be in. It was it was going to take a long time to get there. Don't get me wrong, but building something on the retail side and something that helps. Bitcoin become mainstream. I don't know. There's something to that that, at least for me, it's much easier to get out of bed in the morning and be excited about being a part of that than it is to be excited to get out of bed thinking that I'm going to help traders in institutions, you know, arbitrage an asset. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's the core thesis of like how is this how is this sort of transforming, you know, somebody's, somebody's life that wouldn't otherwise have access to this type of like, what are we doing here? That's like new and novel and helpful yeah, exactly uh, rather than just right. helping people who already have money, make more money basically. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. We're, we're, we're trying to elevate. You know? and, and we think that, you know, Bitcoin is transformative for money and, and well, to, to be able to do that, we need to take Bitcoin on a journey. And I think that, you know, we can't parachute into the future. There are people that, you know, if you're a Bitcoin maxi, you believe that, you know, we don't need banks, everything's going to go to hell in the handbasket, and, and the future is all Bitcoin and Bitcoin only. And look, that might well be true at some point, who knows, into the future. But I'm a big believer that, you know, things happen in stages and in evolutions. And, and for, for Bitcoin to get to that point, uh, or a version of it, they're going to have to be Zappos along the way to facilitate mm -hmm. the scaling of it in a way that, you know, my mum can use the product and, and your family and you know, people who are not technical, who don't, you know, 
think about when you use Uber or any application on your phone, do you really care that it's built on the HTTP protocol on the internet? No, you just want to click a button and the taxi arrives, right? And you, uh, so at some point, we're in the business of creating a product that people value the product and the benefits, and, and the technology is interesting, but it's not why they use and buy the product. Right. It's the, yeah, it's the end benefits of the product that, that, yeah, they're, that and, they're interested in. Exactly. Not the and, the, and the use cases, right? And a good example of that is, you know, recently we introduced USDC and, and Tether. As you know, after March, uh, the ability for any crypto company to, uh, to offer dollar rails is extremely challenging. The US is taking a, a very anti-crypto view. So we took the view to say, well, look, we can do something that no other bank can do, which is rather than, if you think about how exchanges use stable coins, um, people wanted to get out of the volatility of crypto without having to have their funds leave the exchange. Why? Because when you try and get your money out of an exchange, a lot of banks won't accept the money, right? So that's one of the benefits of Zappa. So, well, you can touch your Bitcoin and Zappa all you want, and then it's already in a bank, so you don't need, you don't have that problem of getting the Bitcoin out like you do with an exchange. Um, and then we said, well, well, actually, so Stablecoin really was born out of this necessity of people having uh, the equivalent of dollars sitting in an exchange so they didn't have huge fees taking the money out or they could trade when they needed to. We took a different view. We said, well, actually, what if we turned USDC and, and, and Tether um, and turned it into a, a cross-border payment mechanism and, and say, well, look, if you send me USDC or you send me Tether, you're not holding Tether as Apple. We will actually convert that into real dollars in a bank account that we then mm buy US treasuries with. Uh, so essentially, if you think about it, Tether for us is a replacement of SWIFT. It's a payment mechanism as opposed to a huh. stable coin in inverted commas, right? So the benefit that you have, that, that we have at Zappo um, over other banks as competitive advantage is that, you know, we're crypto native. We, we started off as a Bitcoin wallet. All of our infrastructure is crypto native, writes these rights into the blockchain or what have you. So therefore we can innovate in a way that a traditional bank, well, eventually could and will, but it's going to be a long ride for a lot of banks where for us, uh, being crypto native is, is at our core. And let's talk a bit about just customer segmentation. And we've, we've touched on this a little bit, uh, previously, but how are you thinking about, uh, like who, who, what are kind of the core profiles of customers that you're looking to attract, uh, in, in 2023, 2024 here? Uh, given kind of the current product suite that you have, uh, both in, I guess, both in terms of, you know, geographic location, in terms of, sure. uh, you know, wealth profiles, risk profiles, all those sorts of things. What types of, of, of clients are you, are you best catered to serve right now? Great question. So I think um, there's a certain element of you know, Zappo is the conservative arm of the crypto space, right? So if you're looking for 20% yields, high risk, um, uh, and what have you, you're better off looking at exchanges and trading, you're better off looking at some DeFi protocols or, or what have you. But So we want to create a brand where you trust Zappo um, to do things, do them well, do them simply, uh, and, and, and protect your principle protect your capital. So when you give me your dollars and I'm earning interest for you, 
I need to prove to you that that's about as safe as it could be. I'm not lending it, it's sitting in US treasuries. Same with the Bitcoin. We need to do a lot of work to create that trusted brand that, you know, it's segregated, it's under custody, we have a lot of capital uh, to protect you and, and, and what have you. So we certainly attract people that are at the more, uh, people that value security uh, are, in, are in the sort of more risk averse cap from a risk appetite perspective. We're not the place that is going to offer you 20% returns. Why? Well, I've been in financial services for 30 years and I can guarantee you that anybody offering you 20% or more is putting a significant amount of risk on to be able to generate that return. Um, and if you accept that risk, good on you. Uh, but that's not us. That's not the kind of risk profile that we want to attract. Because I don't want people then coming to me and going, oh my God, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing and I've lost all this money. I'd, I'd rather say, you know what, we, we, we're going to give you a very safe 1% on your Bitcoin. We're going to give you a very safe 4 or 5% on your cash uh, without huge amounts of risk. And you never need to worry about losing your principal at, at Zappa. So risk profile is more on the conservative side. Um, in terms of geographic location, um, we used to have a business in the U.S., and we closed it down. And in hindsight, again, um, I wish I could take credit for that, but that was Winston's decision. Uh, you know, he lives in the U.S. unlike me. I live here in Gibraltar, and I, and I think he could, he could, um, he could sense the mood music in terms of uh, crypto wasn't quite where it needed to be. From my perspective, I, I worked with our general counsel trying to get MTL licenses and a bit license, and and it's almost like look, the U.S. is is a business in and of itself. You know, it's so complex, you need 50 MTLs and the Fed account and, and what have you. And so, well, look, if we focus on the US, we can't do anything else. So around about the same time we took that view to sell the institutional business, we said, look, the rest of the world is a big place. You know, there's more than 7 billion people on the planet. The US is, what, 350 million? You know, I think six and a half, over 6.5 billion people that we can serve is, is a good number. We don't have to do the US. So we took the view to shut down the US business. We focus on our Gibraltar business, and from here we can serve the rest of the world, a little bit like Switzerland does, where people come to us and are born to our product. Um, so we can serve anyone in the world other than the US or any, of course, OFAC sanctioned country like Iran or, or, or what have you. Um, what do we? What is the customer segmentation that we want that we're going after? Well, to some degree, all of the Bitcoin in the world that is outside of the US. <laughs> right? <laughs> Anybody uh, who wants to keep the Bitcoin safe and, and wants to be able to do things with it, give it superpowers, invest, and what have you, uh, Zappa would be a great place for them. Um, what, what do we? What do we actually see in terms of the customers who who get the most benefit out of it? Well, it's the customers, it's, it's amazing, right? We, we've we got an internal metric where we measure uh, out of our new customers how quickly they deposit Bitcoin. And we can see very clearly that those people who deposit Bitcoin in the first couple of weeks become our best customers. It's almost yeah. like once they deposit Bitcoin, they go, oh, wow, look at all the stuff I can do with my Bitcoin that I can't normally do, and they love it. Um, so people that you know send us Bitcoin first, uh, very easily get to understand and love the product. Um, and the ones that seem to love it the more is you don't need to have you know hundreds and hundreds of Bitcoin. Just with a couple of Bitcoin and ten thousand dollars, you you see a lot of benefit and returns on this account in terms of interest generation, yield, the diversification, and the security that 
that we offer. Now, and then last but not least, you know, where we've seen the most traction, well, it kind of goes a little bit back to what we were saying before on Wednesday's story, which is people in, in um, emerging markets versus sort of developed markets <clears throat> view uh, crypto and especially Bitcoin very differently. Uh, we see you know, people in, in Europe and, uh, and the US where you know the demographic is is much younger, you know, 25 to 30, and people just want to kind of want to trade. Uh, we we have cust our, our customer demographic is 40 to 60 something. Uh, and in fact, I met one of our customers at a Bitcoin that was over 70, and he's been with us from day one, loves the product. So you see the people that use us tend to be people that view us more as a as a savings proposition. Right, as a you know, a, a, a second wallet, so to speak, or a second bank where you keep your wealth stored, uh, and those are the kind of customers that we want to attract. And that, if you think about it logically, resonates more in emerging markets because if you're living in Argentina uh, or Brazil, or more extreme versions would be Venezuela or Ukraine, you know, whenever there's geopolitical uncertainty. Uh, whenever there is uh, high inflation, whenever there's uh, potential devaluation of currency, wherever there are capital restrictions, you know, countries with capital restrictions, governments tend to impose those because they don't want to see a flight of capital, right? So they're essentially holding your deposits ransom because otherwise their economy suffers and the, and the value of the, and the, of the currency devalues even more. Um, Bitcoin gives people an alternative. So if, you, if you've got your money into Bitcoin, you, you've got that protection, which I don't think people in the US would understand, but an Argentinian would understand it, a Brazilian would understand it, a Venezuelan would certainly understand it. So you, you can see that you know, your, your life experience really dictates a lot more around how quickly you get the benefits in use case of Bitcoin. And it's no surprise, because when, we, when you look at the demographic of our customers, Latin America is hugely prominent. Um, than some African countries and some Southeast Asian countries. So, you know, we, we tend to, even though we've got customers in other, in other jurisdictions, that's more or less the, what the world map looks like for, for Zappa. Got it, got it. And I like the way you frame that. And it, it kind of jives with how I've always sort of viewed Bitcoin, which is, uh, it's, it's almost like a Rorschach test, right? It's like the inkblot test where you, you know, and, and, you know, you go to a psychiatrist and they're like, they show you this picture of an inkblot and it's like, what do you see? You know, and everyone kind of sees Bitcoin based on like their own worldview, you know, it's like, yeah, you see exactly that right. like a great payment mechanism or it's a store of value, or it's a really cool computer science breakthrough, or it's like this libertarian tool to free us from, tyrannical governments or, or whatever, like whatever your worldview is, like you kind of like project that onto Bitcoin, right? Uh, and maybe to kind of wrap up here, I, I know you were at, you were at La BitConf uh, earlier this month mm -hmm. and uh, you're, you've been talking a little bit about that experience, but we'd love to just get any kind of final thoughts on uh, just, you know, the, the Latin American market specifically and any insights you may have gleaned from, from spending a few days in Buenos Aires with some of uh, the community from Latin America. Uh, this is obviously a Brazil, Latin America focused podcast. So yeah. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about that specifically. Uh, but we yeah, just love to absolutely. get any kind of like final thoughts uh, on um, you know kind of what you what you see encouraging in the community here, and uh, you know how how Zappo is uh, you know kind of positioning itself in the region. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know one one of the things that that's fascinating about Latin America is I I used to live in, in Mexico, 
I lived there for a year when I was in banking and I, I've traveled extensively uh, through Latin America. I, I'm bilingual because I'm from Gibraltar, so I also speak Spanish. And, and I've got a lot of affinity to, to Latin America and, I, and I've seen it evolve over the last 20 years. And, and what I can say is that, you know, 20 years ago, people who were involved in financial services were very traditional, maybe worked in the branch of the US bank or what have you. And it was sort of very limited market or, or pool available that, you know, people with that experience. Now it's the epicenter of fintech. Right? If you think about you know what Nubank has done in Brazil, it's outstanding. And you look at you know Pix and how that's been taken off and uh, and what it's doing there to payments and that and that revolution is incredible. And what I see at the BitConf is is talent. You know, there's a lot of people that are interested in the space and excited about the space and a lot of innovation. So and if you marry if you marry those two things, if you marry you know talent uh, and experience with an actual need. <laughs> you know, because of inflation, devaluation, and pain to the dollar, and all these things, and capital restrictions, and things that tend to happen in Latin America, um, it, it would be hard to argue that Latin America isn't almost sort of the incubator hub of crypto in the world. That's kind of a little bit how I view Latin America at the moment. I don't feel the same way about other jurisdictions. I know there's a lot of talk about Singapore, Project Guardian, and Hong Kong. That's super institutional, as far as I can see. Yes, don't get me wrong, of course, there's innovation. There's a lot of local companies there doing a lot of amazing stuff. I'm not saying for a second that that isn't happening there as well. But I think in Latin America, it's a little bit different. You know, every Brazilian, uh, Mexican, and uh, an Argentinian I've ever met is an economist, values the dollar, understands remittances, capital flows, inflation devaluation. You know, there's that inherent need that they've always had to be able to think about the worldviews versus the dollar and their own situation and their economy. And now with crypto, there's something that is life-changing and game-changing. So there's a lot of interest, a lot of know-how. It's really an exciting time for Latin America. So, for us, it's a little bit like, well, how can we how can we ride that wave? And you know, one of the things that we've done recently, which I think is, is super interesting, is is working with uh, with Lightspark. So you know, David Marcus uh, left Facebook, as you know, ex CEO of PayPal, and he started this company called Lightspark. Um, and they, you know, they we worked with them before, so we've done uh, Lightning integrations with them, so you can you know make payments by Lightning and by Zappo. But they're doing more than that. They're, they're sort of uh, leveraging the Lightning Network to create a payment network. So we're partnering up with um, other companies in the region, you know, in Brazil, Argentina, what have you, where where all of the members of this um, network called Uma essentially get almost like an email address. So if you're in Zappo, you get you know dollar Aaron at zappobank.com, and that's your your Uber address that's verified by KYC or whatever. Uh, and if I was a customer, I don't know, like Foxbit, for example, and I've got my equivalent email, you can just send money to that email and then Lightning underneath that makes the payment and the transfer. Mm. Uh, and therefore, you don't have to be, or I don't have to be a customer as that point for you to be able to send me money. So it's creating a network where different, uh, all the partner companies that are part of the network all of their customers can do cross-border payments with Lightning as the underlying transfer of value. Oh, wow. um, 
I think that's going to be huge. And I think that it, it's, it's this ability for people to now have, you know, an open protocol, essentially, where they can just send money around the world really easily. Uh, and it's powered by Bitcoin. So that's a kind of project, like I was saying before, that I can't think of another bank in the world that would be able to be part of that project in a way that we can just, you know, in a couple of weeks, switch that on and be part of that network. So we're really excited about that opportunity. And I think it's going to create even more sort of linkages and network effects with Latin America, which is a huge market for us. Amazing, amazing. Um, well, Seamus, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show. This is a great conversation. How can folks uh, find you or get in touch with you if they want to learn more? Sure, absolutely. So www.zappobank.com. Uh, information about us is there on the website. We're always evolving it and adding more information. We pride ourselves in being you know, uh, open kimono, open and honest. Uh, we want to put more information there about our balance sheet, about how we earn money so you can trust us, about how we keep the Bitcoin safe and uh, and, and our fees, so we're transparent. So you can find out more about that on our on our pages and, and, and web pages and landing pages. And then if you want to apply, just from the website, you can just go and apply from the website itself to become a member. It's just a very short questionnaire. You can download the app, and then from there on, you can start your onboarding process. So it's very simple. It's just web-based, and then that takes you onto your mobile phone. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thanks so much, Seamus, for your time. Thanks, and for thanks everyone, for listening. And we'll be back soon. We'll be back soon with another awesome guest. Uh, thanks, Seamus. Thanks, Zappo. And uh, we'll see you all next time.